Just in and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, yo, this is Big Daddy Kane, and you're listening to another hot interview on The Library with Tim Einenkel on RapStation.com. Veteran author and hip-hop historian Brian Coleman joins me today in the library with Tim Einenkel on RapStation.com to discuss his latest book about hip-hop liner notes called Check the Technique, Volume 2. Brian Coleman, thank you so much for joining me in the library. Very nice to be here. I appreciate you having me. In the very beginning of the book, Check the Technique, Volume 2, you have a quote from DJ Jazzy Jeff, um, which says, My biggest goal back then was to be able to one day tell my kids that I, wanna, I was on a record, that I could get a good job at, a, at the post office, and everything would be great. Um... This quote, I think, speaks volumes to the minds of many producers, DJs, MCs back then. Uh, yet a lot of these albums seem pretty timeless. Do you think that the fact that rap music didn't fall into that kind of music, pop category forced rappers to make back then to make albums timeless, and kind of that's why we don't have a lot of timeless music today? Wow, that's a that's a, a deep question. I mean, I guess the thing the thing I love about that quote from Jazzy Jeff is obviously he went on to do more than just put out one record and work out at the post office and but but it kind of sums up I think the attitude of still artists today. It's it's maybe a little bit different and maybe the goals are a little bit different of I just wanted to put out a record to I just want to have 10,000 hits on YouTube or or something like that. So it's still the same artistic impulse and and kind of uh desire to express yourself. I don't I'm not sure that that any of the artists uh in the books ever set out to make timeless music. I think that uh some of them did and some of them didn't you know some some people that's kind of for history to judge really but i think the uh the goal is always to make the best music possible so you know in that way i guess yes that's timeless music but but timeless is kind of in the eye of the beholder really it's in the fans eyes if it holds up over time if over time it'll be considered to be more of a gimmick or a one-hit wonder or just kind of fade away or if it'll be something that still sounds amazing and, and still something that fans latch on to as much now as they did 20 or 25 years ago. So, yeah, I don't. It, it's tough to say compared now and then because I think at its core, the artistic impulse is just to express yourself and to make great music that people will like. Um, other Some people might have different goals in that I want to get rich or I want to be famous or... 
but but for me the it's always been do I want to make the dopest most amazing music possible those are the people I'm drawn to because um, I think that gets kind of clear the people who are trying to get rich quick so uh, going back also to the Jazzy Jeff thing back then it wasn't really that easy there was no get rich quick scheme in hip-hop even if you had a hit, that didn't mean you were going to make tons and tons of money because sometimes the way that contracts were structured or something like that. So um, at, at its core, I think the, the beauty of being any artist, whether you're a rock artist or hip hop or a classical composer, is you just want to make incredible music that touches people. So so that, those are the artists I'm drawn to. You have a, this book and the other books, have you, you, you have a lot of albums you go through. Um, and I have a few questions about how you selected these albums. Uh, were these albums that you kind of you knew by heart? Like you knew going in, you're like, I'm going to do these 10 albums. Why? Because I don't have to listen to them again. Um, I know these albums. Bam, bam, bam. Or were these albums that you had you didn't really listen to, but then your friends or colleagues would say, hey, you got to listen to this album. You got to listen to this album. Like, for example, um, Justin, Justin Bua, the gra- graph artist, he did a book about uh, hip-hop legends, and one hip-hop legend he had was Jay Dilla. And the story behind what he says about Jay Dilla is that he actually didn't know much about Jay Dilla until his friends were like, well, do you know that De La Soul track you like, or do you know that Tribe track you like? Do you know every other music you like? You know, that's Jay Dilla. So I was wondering, are these when you select something like this, are these albums that you just know off the bat, or what other influences, like what goes into that selection? The, the music... Uh the way things are selected for these books is definitely not as scientific as some people might might assume it is. I can I can assure you of that. I would say generally people have asked me am I trying to make a list of the greatest hip hop records ever made or some kind of a canon of hip hop and uh, I'm really not. I mean, these are kind of my journey as a fan and they're they're albums that I personally love and if they happen to be some of the greatest albums of all time or they happen to be in the hip-hop canon, that's great, but that's not my intention. So I would say generally I would never do a, an artist or an album that I didn't have full, not, not full knowledge of, but that I didn't know fairly well. Um, I think especially in this new book is this, this one was me branching out a little bit and saying, for instance, Company Flow or Dr. Octagon, uh, The Coup, are not established in necessarily in the hip-hop canon, maybe, but they're in my hip-hop canon, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like it's me saying, hey, the, I've covered Nation of Millions, I've covered uh, Three Behind Rising. Those are kind of established. You can't really argue that those aren't classics. But um, for me, it's a personal journey. It's a pers- There are things that I want to know personally, but it's also if other people find out about artists they didn't pay attention to before in the same way that I would read someone else's book and say, oh, wow, I never really knew about that. I would say the one, like, for instance, uh, I did uh, Too Short in the last book, and I didn't really know a ton about Too Short, but I felt that that was important because I've always known his story and kind of how he came up in the game and how he put out stuff on indie labels and kind of sold him out of his trunk. And that was important to me uh, because balance is also important to get something from the West Coast. So that was not something that I necessarily bumped all the time when I was younger, but I certainly learned to appreciate it uh, as I knew more about it and did research and talked to Too Short. And so, you know, that's really what it's all about is my contention has always been the same in that 
you can never know too much about an album or an artist. It only helps you enjoy it more. And so, but I would say generally that these are albums that I love, that are part of me, part of my life as a fan. And I know that it's part of a lot of other people's lives as fans. But for me, it's kind of if people come into the book knowing half of the artists and maybe hearing about uh, the other half and they learn more about them, then that's amazing. That's incredible to me to be able to do that. It's kind of the same thing as buying an album because there's two hit singles and then you realize like, wow, like the rest of these songs are really dope too. So, so it's kind of the same type of thing. I want to, I was going to ask you about two, two short later. Um, and I'm an East coast guy. So yeah, of course, West coast was, I mean, NW, I did listen to NWA and two short is mentioned a few times in the book, one in the, the, the Coos chapter and one in uh, twice, um, in Ice Cube's chapter, what is, and this could be like the old man in me, but what is the, what's the argument for like why we should listen to Too Short? Like what is, I guess, what is his influence in, not just for listeners, but also for these artists? Well, I mean, it's it's really not my place to say anyone should listen to anything. It's it's more just kind of presenting the stories, and then you make a decision. If you're not familiar with that artist, you make a decision. Too Short clearly is not, like, the most, always the most stand-up guy when it comes to the way he talks about women and things of that nature, clearly. Uh, but, but also the thing about that album that was interesting was he was, it was still, it was someone who had something to say, he wanted to express himself, and there was, he talks about the Life is Too Short album as there's two sides to it. One was the Too Short side, one was the Todd Shaw side. And so I found that to be interesting, because I never really looked at that album that way, that this is me personally, and then this is me, the persona of Too Short. And you could certainly make the same argument for anyone, for... Snoop Dogg or Flavor Flav or, you know, here's what they're like when they're at home on a Tuesday night and here's what they're like on stage. It's not always the same thing. So the same thing with Two Shorts. So, I, I mean, I think the thing that was interesting to me in the same way that people like Schoolie D, uh, they just didn't wait for someone to give them permission. That's always my highest respect goes to people because that's what I do with my books. I, I don't really wait around. I could have probably sold this to a major publisher if I had wanted to take an extra couple months and really pitch it around and kiss people's butt and stuff like that. And I just don't do that. And part of the reason I don't do that is because I take inspiration from people like Too Short, Schoolie D, Uncle Luke from Two Live Crew and the way that they have always just been like, you know what? I want this to be undiluted. I want to do it exactly the way I want to do it. Maybe that's offensive to some people, but I'm an artist and I express myself. Listeners can decide to deal with that however they want. They can not buy it or they can buy it and get really into it. So, um, But that's to me, that's Too Short is a good example or Two Live Crew. I mean, Two Live Crew is kind of a maybe a controversial inclusion in that definitely most people don't consider anything but a Two Live Crew did to be in the hip-hop canon. Um, but yet again, I'm, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to present different artists, different ways of approaching music, different parts of the country, and and as to do it as much as I can. Clearly, the, the books are very East Coast slanted, and I don't make any excuses for that because, yet again, I grew up on the East Coast, and these are the records that are part of my youth. So that's the way it is. But I try and, and kind of 
be more inclusive uh, as much as often as I can. We're speaking to Brian Coleman, author of uh, Check the Technique, Volume 2. Um, I want to go into one album that really kind of is the reason why I got into radio, and that's uh, Mostaf and Talib Kweli's Black Star album. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord. I went through a phase of, you know, in the 90s, late 90s, let's say, just not liking what I was hearing on the radio. And that might have been just the the lack of diversity that was coming in on the radio. Uh, and then I heard Black Star's album, and I was like, holy crap, I got to play this for the masses. I, you know, got, I pitched my college radio station. I didn't play rap at the time and had petitions and all this stuff. So quickly, I just wanted to know, how did this album affect you? I, I would definitely say, you know, kind of the same thing in that um, back in the mid-'90s, I was doing a radio show on uh, WZBC in Boston, um, and I was starting to write uh, for some local places and just on the cusp of writing for CMJ, which is a great publication, still is, and it's about exposing music that people might not know about, but exposing it to people who, like you're talking about, you on the radio could play. And, and, and so I also was hearing a bunch of crap. I mean, most of the major label stuff was just mind-numbingly boring to me. But at the same time, I was also very actively seeking out stuff on the underground uh, things on Stone's Throw was just kind of starting. You had Fondalum, you had Raucous bubbling up. Company Flow was doing stuff on their official label. So that was giving me hope, you know, for hip hop that, okay. And that's really always been the way. I think that, that people now ask me, well, what do you think about hip hop? And it's like, you can't, I can't answer that. You're going to have to be a lot more specific because that doesn't, that means so much now. It means even more now than it did back then. And it meant a lot back then of the range. Uh, are you talking about underground stuff? Are you talking about major label? Or are you talking about the blah, blah, blah? So Black Star to me was the perfect um, way to be, they were on an indie, but a well-funded indie that most people didn't necessarily even consider to be an indie because it was so well-funded on Raucous. Uh, but still, it wasn't on a major label. It wasn't getting the, the major label process that stuff on Bad Boy was getting or, or that kind of stuff. So, um, But it wasn't... And I love Company Flow, and I love Black Star. I love them both, but for different reasons. Company Flow was trying to tear things down. They were they were just looting and pillaging hip hop and that was beautiful to me that that you need that. You need revolutionaries. Um Black Star, that album, they were revolutionary in a lot of ways too, but it was more palatable to a wider audience. So people who are into the Fugees would be like, of course, Black Star makes sense, or The Roots, and, and it all made sense, but they also weren't saying the exact same thing. So some of the, uh, most of what they were saying was very deep, uh, very socially conscious. Uh, also, on a, on a personal level, it was very much about their journeys as artists and kind of expressing themselves. And I think the final thing, too, knowing more about the album after doing the research and interviews for this um, for this uh, book was that they went into it. First of all, Black Star was never a group. Both guys are very adamant in being like, it was never a group. It was called Our Black Star. It was our names. It wasn't Black Star, the group, blah, blah. And it was intended to be a one-off album. It was never intended to be a long-term thing. And it's, I think most people didn't really 
it certainly makes sense afterwards because they never did another one. But um, knowing more about it, that that Talib Kweli's main goal was to do a Reflection Eternal album. And it was the Black Star album was kind of a means to an end. Like, okay, yeah, let's do this because Raucous wants to do this. And they really enjoyed it and did it. And uh, Most Def, Yassine Bey, looked at that album as like a jazz session from the 50s where it was just like, you know, we go in, we do sessions for three days or three months or eight months or whatever, and then we leave and we go off and we do another session with other people. So looking at it through that lens makes it even more impressive to me because it's kind of uh, not necessarily the pressure was on, but but it, it, there's a different kind of thing than doing that or Gangstar doing their fifth or sixth album that same kind of era you know what I mean like there's a level of comfort that existed with Gangstar that didn't necessarily so it was still all new with uh, with Mos and Taleb and and that's exciting too and I think he, knowing more about that you you can kind of start to listen to that record in a different way and, and that it gets even deeper for for an album that was already deep to so many people so I want to ask you a question about one of the tracks there but um, in the chapter Quali talks about shopping his demo to major labels until most kind of told him to go with Rockus, right? Uh, because they did have money. Um, after talking to them, both of them, do you get a sense of how Quali's career could have been differently different if he went to the major label, like off the bat? Um, also, do you think that means that most Def and Talib Quali, Black, our Black Star album, would have never happened? Well, I would definitely say yes. There's a very good possibility uh, on both sides that that album would have never happened. But keep in mind, like a lot of these stories uh, are about groups that almost didn't happen. You know, uh, the Roots were were a great example of a group that very well could have fallen apart at any time because uh, Amir Kweslov's dad did not desperately did not want him to become a hip-hop artist he was being groomed to be a jazz young lion in, in the jazz world and uh you know black thought was going to different schools here and there and it was so a lot of times it's it's kind of a it, it's like a comet coming by and you just grab that energy and you and you harness it and and so yeah i clearly the uh the black star album could have never happened and it's hard to say what would have happened with uh, Talib or Mos if they had gotten to be on a major label at that early stage in their career. I mean, it certainly would have been different, there's no doubt, because it's all just, you just never know what, what happens day to day and uh, the kind of interactions you have. But it's hard, it's, it honestly, it's impossible for me to say whether it had been better or worse. I think that he would have had a tougher road um, to express himself in the way that he did on a major label because of the climate at the time. There just really weren't people. Uh, I think things like the Dead Prez record that came out were certainly an anomaly. That, that came out on Columbia was almost like, what? Are you serious? Like, how did that even happen? Um, so, so that stuff, it was possible for things like that to happen. But, I mean, I think the other thing that the books a lot of time tell these stories of how people get kind of caught up in the major label machine and, and kind of grind, you know, ground up a little bit and spit out. And um, that's also why I generally cover people's first or second albums, because they still have that artistic innocence and it's still... Uh, the industry hasn't yet fully taken hold of them and started shaking them around and 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 really sc screwing with them and making them second guess 
am I doing this right and I'm not selling as many as the last album should I change it on my third album and once you start to get into that very rarely does anything good come of that because you start second guessing yourself too much instead of going from your gut and that's what certainly the uh, most effing celebrity our black star album is a perfect example of guys just going from the gut and and just letting it flow as it as it came out and it wasn't like oh we can kind of correct that later it wasn't it was it was done over a certain number of months so it wasn't like we only have two days to do this session but at the same time they they it was about capturing that that raw energy that both of them had and they were both there was a lot of similarities and there are a lot of differences in that and that's kind of the beauty of it too the push and pull uh of how they interacted just one more question about the Black Star album. Uh, one of my favorite tracks on the album is Brown Skin Lady. Because uh, I used to play for my ex-girlfriend all the time in college. When she was my girlfriend. Uh, but I feel like the story that Quali tells about that track like, kind of left me disappointed. And I don't know if it's because just I was so such a big fan of this track that I wanted to hear like about the writing process. And you're like... It was done because we felt women were so distraught. You know, that the big story. Um, so I'm just curious, if, was there more to that story? Like, did most tell a story and just for editing purpose you kind of had to get it out? Or And also, are there moments for you as a fan while writing these books where you are disappointed? Like, you hear a story and you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's it? Like, and what are those stories if you could share with us? Yeah, I, I, with Brown Skin Lady, I don't think there was more to it necessarily. I mean, that was just a track that came together relatively quickly, and, and um, that's not bad either, but I, I know exactly what you mean. I think the one instance I can kind of point to is in the, I guess, the my first book, Rakim Told Me, that became Check the Technique Volume 1. Um, Slick Rick, The Great Adventures of Slick Rick is one of my favorite albums of all time. And uh, I've listened to it so many. I know it by heart, the whole thing. I know the pauses. I know everything. So even, I guess, overall with that record, talking to Rick, he was just very unimpressed with what he had accomplished. And I was just like, are you serious? Like, what the hell are you talking, you know? And, and I wanted the same thing. I wanted to hear all these dramatic stories. And so... I think really what it boils down to is different artists are just different as people, clearly. So you can ask two people who are at the same event, like a basketball game, oh, what happened in the fourth quarter? And someone will go, yeah, I mean, they were up and then they lost. And someone will be like, oh, my God, and he got it and he stole the ball. And they, Which, now, now, to be fair, going back to Slick Rick, one of the greatest storytellers, probably the greatest storytelling MC of all time, I want to hear a story. It's like, Rick, damn it, tell me a story. And it was, yeah, exactly. So, like, uh, you know, call me back in two hours and, and, and rhyme it. Uh, but, you know, so I, I agree that, that, that it can be sometimes um, disappointing and that you, but I think that's, that's not a bad thing in a way. It's like as fans, we get so into these and we make our own mythologies around some of these songs. Sometimes when you hear about them, they match up. Sometimes they uh, exceed. So, for example, I remember Chuck D telling me about uh, how Bring the Noise came together. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that's clearly a very complicated song. But I had no idea how complicated it was and just the struggle that that he went through with his lyrics. And clearly there was so much going on with the music of it. Um, 
that that exceeded my expectations, which is always nice because that's my favorite album of all time. So, yeah, I, I could see why you'd be, if, if Brown Skin Lady was that deep to you. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There's no, unfortunately, I don't get a... a there's no money back guarantee when I interview an artist and I can't I can't pull it out. But, you know, I think that, that really in the end what it boils down to is uh, there's a certain a certain uh, part of an interview where you all of a sudden reach uh, a comfort level with the artist and you really start to dive deeper and deeper. And so, you know, I think I was at that level when I was when I got to the song part of everything and we were talking about Brown Skin Lady, we had reached that level. So sometimes there's just not as much of a, a kind of a struggle or not as much of a, an inspiration as, as you might think. And other songs that seem lighter and more inconsequential, you realize that, wow, they, that meant a lot to them. Or, you know, so like talking to Common about like Pop's rap, you know, and, and how he started those with resurrection and, and what that was all about. Like that was, it just gave a depth to it that, that I had never anticipated. I thought it was just like, Oh yeah, he hung out with his dad all the time and he was just there in the studio. And it was like, no, it was, it was, that was not planned. And that, that made it that much doper that, that it was so, uh, unguarded and, uh, and that became a thing that was a theme in all his records and stuff like that. And his dad uh, passed away early this year. So um, kind of knowing about that just brings you closer to the artist. So. But, yeah, sometimes it, it, it's not always what you hope. But I think for, for me, my experience, it's generally I've always been pretty happy with, with, uh, with I try not to go in with too many preconceptions about whether something is going to be deep or not, you know, because because you just really never know how it's going to go. Pretty feet picking through open toe shoe. Ooh, no limit to 
of you. Woo! Me say for real, me like you. Good luck, champion, win the title. Show, many man try invite you. Shut down lyric each time they cite you. Come on. Show, what man you get born inside so Clear the walk while you just let shit pass through. Oh, can't be your next one like you. Famous like tapes made by DJ Glow. I tighten up my game as I approach you. Yo, check a sheet and act to the big get close to. Don't get many compliments, but I am confident. Used to have a complex about getting too complex. You got me willing to try. Look me in the eye, my head is still in the sky. Since you walked on by, I'm feeling high. Got my imagination flickering like hot flames. Is how it seems. You make me wanna ride the cold train to a love supreme. My brown lady creates environments for happy brown babies. I know it sounds crazy, but your skin's an inspiration for cocoa butter. You provoke a brother. We should get to know one another. I discover when I bring you through. My people say true. All I can say. Yes, all praise do. I thank you, God, for a beauty like you. Brown skin lady. Yes. Just cause yeah. to the brown skin lady. Where you going? On the planet. Brown Earth. skin yeah. lady. drop time to shop get to a nordstrom rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns now score even more up to 70 percent off brands everyone loves at nordstrom rack denim dresses sneakers tops and more plus get genius deals on jackets sweaters and boots for the whole family shop your nordstrom rack store today and save up to 70 percent with new markdowns but hurry deals this great won't last Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.